Greetings from the brothers and sisters in Buenos Aires, Argentina. It's so great to be back. They send all of their greetings, especially to Brian and Kathy, who were most with us recently. Um, but they don't call them Brian and Kathy. They call them Brian and Kathy. But either way, hola. It's so great to be here. This last week, I think I've gained about five to ten pounds, thanks to all of you and your generosity. Um, a few people on Facebook have been writing in Spanish, you're getting fat, come back. It's not good for you to be there. I tell them that it's hard to, to not leave Northside when they loan you a really nice car and give you free food every day. But life must go on. Today I leave for Oklahoma City to see my nephews, oh, and my brother and his wife as well. And then I'll be back this next Saturday to Argentina. But like I said, it's been so good to be here with all of you this week. I live in Buenos Aires, Argentina, a very modern city. We have cell phones, Wi-Fi, air conditioning, heating, like every other big city in the world. Uh, we have a 14 million people population. Some people say 16 million, but I took the conservative figure. That's in the greater Buenos Aires area. We're the 20th largest city in the world and the second largest Spanish-speaking city in the world, next to Mexico City. It's a very ethnically and religiously diverse city. Um, We have a a part of town that is uh, German-speaking, Italian-speaking, Portuguese-speaking. We have a large um, Arabic population, a large Jewish population, um, a large English-speaking population. We have people from all around the world in our city. But the city was settled mainly by Spanish and Italian immigrants who really liked French architecture. So it's a very interesting place to live. Um, we have a large population density. If you know what population density means, it's how many people can you fit in a square mile. We have about 37,000 people per square mile. Um, people think they would get claustrophobic when you're with 37,000 people in one square mile. When I'm in Wichita, I feel lonely because I don't see anyone. Um, Just recently, I was um, in Abilene and walking to the store, and I was the only person walking anywhere, and I said, this is not like home. So we have a lot of people in our city, and they're everywhere, and at all hours. Um, All of the buses run 24 hours a day. All the transportation is 24 hours a day, except for the subway. Um, We're out till late at night. We don't get up early. One beautiful thing about Argentina. Um, But it's a really great place to live, and I'm really glad to be there. Despite the population density and despite the big city, we take time for coffee. This is Brian and Kathy having some coffee with us and some croissants. People aren't rushed, despite the fact that it's a very big city and there's a lot to do. We just stay up later. So it's a really great uh, place. Life is really different there. Um, Typically in America, we say people at the end of the day, are all the same. That's a lie. People aren't the same all around the world. There's a lot of differences between us and people in different countries. But in some ways, we are very similar. We're going to talk about that later. Um, This is Jairo, my coworker. This is us on our mission trip to Peru this last year. Jairo um, is the guy who works most closely with me. And um, two of those three girls, the girls on each side, are also my coworkers, Shoana and Cardenis. Um, they're part of our mission team as well. The girl in the middle is Ashley. She's a missionary in Cordoba, Argentina. So I'm not working alone. I'm working with a great group of people there. 
What is my mission in Buenos Aires? To preach the good news of the kingdom of God to anyone and everyone that will listen. We reach out both to non-believers and to believers. Um, one of the great things about being a Christian is that we're still a work in progress. So we don't think that once we've believed and obeyed the gospel that God is, is done with us. He's doing a lot more with us. So we try to reach out to those two groups of people, the non-believers and the believers as well. A lot of people ask me, what does a normal week of ministry look like? Well, on the mission field, there's not a normal week. But these are some of the activities that I often do during the week. We have Sunday Bible class and worship, which begins at 5 in the afternoon. And we'll often go till 9 or 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, we have Tuesday night prayer meetings as well. I take a day off for rest and renewal. Um, I teach at a Bible institute. And I try to have 8 to 10 meals with neighbors, with people in the community, with Christians, with non-Christians, to be able to share that time with them. Uh, we do a lot of coffee shop Bible studies. We'll go to a Starbucks or to a coffee shop, open up the Bible, and see what God um, has to tell us for, for that day. Also, a lot of counseling. What does it mean to live the Christian life? How do we deal with these problems in light of what God has done for us? Um, a lot of discipleship, which could be Bible study, but can also be uh, mentoring. And through the spiritual discipline of friendship, with making friends with the idea of growing together spiritually. Also, hospitality at home and away from home. Often we think of hospitality as opening the doors of our own house. If your house is dirty, you can be hospitable other places. That you can make an environment that is safe to share and, to, um, and share what God is doing in your life with other people. And that's a really great thing to practice, not only at home, but away from home. This is the um, group that I'm working with at the Bible Institute, Ivica. These are the different professors that we have. Uh, we have Tomas, Jairo, Dario, Osvaldo, Laura, and myself as working there at the Bible Institute this semester. Um, the semester before I came, um, the last, yeah, this, which would be our fall semester, which is your spring semester, I taught hermeneutics. And um, this December, Lord willing, we'll graduate our first full-time student. But this last semester, we had over 22 students taking one or two classes at the Bible Institute. So it's been a really big blessing. Um, I get to travel a lot, which is part of my job that I really like. And since I was with you last, on the last furlough, I've been able to go to these different places and share with the different churches and to be with them. Um, in some places, I've taught different workshops or different events, youth camps, um, different kinds of things. And the very last place, Cochabamba which sounds like car bomb in Spanish, but it's one letter off, is where we will be taking our next mission trip with our church. We believe that missions are so important that our very first year as a new church, we decided to take a mission trip together to Lima, Peru. And we spent two weeks there. And um, sometimes Latin Americans think that Americans are the ones who do missions, or Europeans are the ones that do missions. And that's just not true. We're all called to be a part of God's mission. So we're working on that mission trip for this next year to Cochabamba, Bolivia. This is a picture for one of our um, activities in Peru. We were able to work at a um, like children's home slash children's home slash orphanage where we had over 150 kids for two days for six hours. It was a blessing. Um, <laughs> And this was um, Ashley singing some songs with them, and we, we taught them about the prodigal son that day. So it's a really great um, blessing to see how God is working in different kinds of places and doing different kinds of things. 
this is the neighborhood where I live with millions of people. Um, the, the cross on the picture is my house. Um, so we have a lot of um, people really close to us who need to know about God. Um, like I said, it's a re- uh, religiously and ethnically diverse area. Two blocks from my house, there's a Russian Orthodox church. There's a Pentecostal church. We have Catholic churches. Um, we have a mosque not too far from my house, not too far from my house as well. It's a really diverse community, and a lot of need to know about Christ. Um, this is our second annual church retreat. Um, we had some visitors with us that came on the retreat. We asked Tomas, one of the ministers at the other Church of Christ in town, to come and te- teach us. He taught us the Book of Romans in eight and a half hours during three days. It was really exciting to see um, a lot of those kids dig into Romans for the very first time and learn more about what the gospel is. Uh, we also played Ultimate Frisbee, which I realized I'm really bad at. And we really enjoyed our time together. This picture is really dark. I'm really sad that it didn't come out as well. But this is just a Tuesday night prayer meeting at my house. Um, in this picture, we have people from about four or five different countries. And that's just what Buenos Aires looks like because we're from everywhere. And we've come to study, we've come to work, we've come to make a new life. And that's what life looks like in the big city. So we're really excited about that. This was a picture the Sunday before I came to the States. We were celebrating my birthday. I won't tell you how old I am. Okay, yes, I'm 30. So this is a picture of my birthday. They did a surprise birthday party for me. And it was pretty exciting. And um, these are different people that we're studying the Bible with, Christians, who, people who are already Christians and people who are not Christians already. Just this week, I received an email saying, I'm talking to so-and-so, and they're asking questions about who is Jesus and, and what does he want from us. And this is the person we've been friends with for about the last two or three years. So we're really excited about that. God moves in, in great ways. If you don't know much about Argentina... I'll have you know we have the best soccer player in the world. The Pope is Argentine, and the Queen of Holland is also Argentine. But if you only know about Argentina because I'm a missionary there, that's fine too. We won second place in the World Cup. We didn't lose first place. We won second place in the World Cup. We have some Germany fans over there, but we have CR on Thursdays as well. If you'd like to go, you can recover from that. So, World Cup was a big deal. Um, We have a lot of different people from different countries in our church. So that means we had about 15 or 20 games to watch, to watch everyone's game from everyone's country. So that was a lot of soccer. And so I'm going to take a break now. But it was a really great time to spend together. This was the very last game before we were all crying when we lost to Germany. So this is my friend Sandro. Sandro is a doctor from Colombia who's working in Buenos Aires. His wife's a dentist, and they're starting to come to church and doing different things. And this was a Bible study that we had just before I left at one of my favorite bookstores um, in town. So we're really meeting a lot of different people, trying to reach out to not only those who are saved, but especially to those who do not know who God is. I'm involved in some campus ministry. Every Thursday I go to a local university called the Universidad Javaloro, which is a university that specializes in medical sciences, medical and biological sciences. And we've started a science and religion study group. And we're asking the question, can a scientist, can a scientist believe in God and not throw his brain away? 
Can he be a thinking person, a rational person, and still believe in God? So we're investigating that and talking about that with different people. Uh, we also started a book club to get to, um, to become more involved in our community. And our very first book club, we had about 10 to 11 people come for six sessions. And we talked about a book by Timothy Keller called The Reason for God. And we talked about what it means to believe in God in an age of skepticism. So that was a really great, um, great time together. And um, a lot of people learned a lot more about God and what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. Uh, we have our first meeting of the second round of book club on September 4th at my house. And um, we have 50 people signed up. I hope they don't all come because they won't fit. But we're really excited about the way God is opening doors through the book club to meet new people, to share his message with other people. And I'm really excited about that. Um, we had David and Kelsey Criswell from OSU. They are OSU graduates from the Stillwater Church of Christ. They came and lived four and a half months in Argentina. And it was a real great blessing to have them at our church to serve alongside with us. Um, Kelsey got to Argentina speaking practically no Spanish. In four and a half months, she was having meaningful conversations with people. So um, God is equipping his servants to be able to, to serve in his church in different ways. Um, they helped us with an English conversation club. We would meet at Starbucks every other Thursday for an hour to two, two and a half hours to three hours, and drink coffee with people and speak English. And when we couldn't speak English, we'd speak Spanish. And we just tell people about uh, what life is like in different places, where we've come from, and sometimes what God is doing in our lives. So they were a really big help to us this last year. A lot of people ask, so what exactly does a missionary do? And it's not about activities. It's not about programs. It's not about ministries. It's about something much, much bigger. The gospel is not merchandise. The gospel is not merchandise. The gospel is not something you sell. It's not something you can market. It's not something you can say, look how shiny, look how, how beautiful it is. Don't you want it? The gospel is not merchandise. And it's not limited to a message either. It's not something we can write down and say, I've given the gospel to someone. It's not something we can say, once you read this, you'll understand the gospel. It's not something that you can give to someone and say, once you have understood and we've talked about this you understand what the gospel is the gospel is much more than merchandise it's much more than a message it's not merchandise but it's much more than a message it's an invitation an invitation to what it's an invitation to a new reality what the gospels call the kingdom of god what peter calls the divine nature and what paul calls the christ life what is the gospel? It's based in historical reality. It's not some nebulous idea or philosophy made by men. It's a historical reality based in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But a lot of Christians get it wrong. They think the gospel is only that. It's only participating in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection for our sake. And that's where the gospel ends for so many people. But really the gospel is participation in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the sake of the world. And that's what mission work is all about. Being a part of the Christ life, of the divine nature, living in God's kingdom with God as king, 
not only over my spiritual life, but about every part of my life and sharing that for the sake of the world. Often we think, well, they're not interested. Uh, These people aren't receptive. That's the dirty R word. I don't like that word. Well, they just don't get it, or they're, they're into other things. They're busy. But God has called us to share this historical reality that can transform our lives and will one day transform our universe with other people. I want to read to you Matthew 5 from a different version this morning called The Message. It says, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you to even deeper, even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. I know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have gotten into this kind of trouble before. Who is God's kingdom for? With God's kingdom for if, if our new life is for the sake of the world, God's kingdom is for those who do not have life in Him. I think sometimes because we call these be attitudes, they think we think that somehow once we become a Christian, we can become these things to be right with God. But that's to really misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the people with these kinds of attitudes, with these kinds of needs, with these kinds of voids in their life, are the people who can receive God's kingdom. These are the kinds of people that God can be Lord and Savior of. The people who are at the end of the rope. The people who have lost what is most dear to them. The people who are content with who they are, no more, no less. People who have an appetite for God. Those are the kinds of people that God is interested in. When we think about these kinds of things, in Argentina they seem foolish. People say, so what What actually do you do here? Well, um, I'm a missionary. Well, shouldn't you be in a poor place? Because the poor really need God. They don't have enough to make it to the end of the month. But, but we're fine. 
We've got it all together. We figured life out. We've got good jobs. Why don't you go help someone who really needs it? But the truth is, it's not a matter of money at all. It's a matter of being who God has called us to be. The cross seems foolish to those who are perishing. Ann Coulter wrote an interesting article about Dr. Kent Brantley. I hope you guys have been praying for our brother, Kent Brantley, who contracted Ebola while he was in West Africa serving as a medical missionary. She couldn't fathom why in the world would he go to Africa? Why in the world would he give his life? Wouldn't he be better if he had just spent his time attending to the rich in America who could have given a lot more money for other people to go and do that? Doesn't America have enough need? Why should he go and risk his life for him and his family? Because God's not interested in people who have it all. God's not interested in people who don't need him. God's kingdom is for those who are at the end of their rope. What does that look like in Argentina? It looks like my neighbor who who doesn't know who, who God is, who thinks he's content with his life, with his job, who feels some disappointment but can't quite figure out what to attribute that to. It's the lady on the corner who sells vegetables 12 hours a day, seven days a week to support her family. It's the doctor that I drink coffee with. It's the young girl in our church who works for Ernst & Young. It's for everyone who recognizes their need for God. What happens when we understand who God's kingdom can come to? What does it look like when we finally realize our need for God? One of the most imp- um, one of the greatest experiences I had this week was being able to visit Celebrate Recovery this last Thursday. If you've never been, I encourage you to go. Don't worry, your first time they won't ask you to share anything. You won't have to tell any deep, dark secrets. You just need to be who God has called you to be. On Thursday, I saw the gospel in action. I heard it, I saw it, and I felt it. I spend a lot of time preaching gospel meetings in South America. And the majority of those meetings are for the saved, not for the lost. Because after some personal experiences, I realized that I need the gospel preached to me over and over and over again. This morning in Bible class, we talked about the Lord's Supper. And I said, I'm so glad we do it every week. Because I need to remember what Jesus has done for me every single Sunday. Not only every Sunday, but every day of the week. And I need to be reminded of that. And I need to look forward to the future when Christ comes back and proclaim his death. Until he comes and make that a reality in my life today. What does it look like when we're at the end of our rope? When we allow God to fill that void in our lives? Jesus continues in Matthew 5 verse 13. He says, let me tell you why you are here. Who is he talking to? To the poor in spirit, to those who mourn, to those who need to be comforted. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? 
If you lose your saltiness, how will you people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I am so thankful for this family here at Northside who allows me both financially, logistically, supports me spiritually, emotionally, so I can be in Buenos Aires and be a part of a community that's a light on a hill that challenges people to see differently, to see God's colors, to see God's flavors in this world. Does not think that money is all there is or to think that experiences are all there is or to think that family is all that there is. There's so much more to life. God wants us to participate in his kingdom, in his divine nature, in the Christ's life. That's what the gospel is about. It's an invitation to be with God and to be a people of God on God's mission. Who am I? I'm a missionary, but I'm also a wounded healer. Someone who's been wounded by sin, by my own sin, by other sin, but healed by Christ. I'm being healed. And the only thing I have to offer on the mission field, it's not really my knowledge, it's not really what I know or, or what I can say or know, doing the right things at the right time or being the right person at all moments. It's sharing my wounds with others so they can see the healing that Christ offers. It's connecting people to Christ, connecting people with God. And you have encouraged me so much to be that in Argentina, to people there in Buenos Aires. And I want to encourage you, as you encourage me, to be that to God's people here. We are saved not for our own sakes, but for the sake of the world. If you have a hurt or a sin that you would like to confess today, or you would like to ask prayers for the church, we invite you to come down as we stand together and sing.